In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. This is the third Sunday of Easter. Remember that Easter is a week of weeks. We have seven weeks of the Easter season. And while we're counting to the 50th day of Pentecost, we're also counting to the 40th day of the Ascension, when Christ rises up into heaven. And so we uh, have a few weeks still for us to reflect upon the mystery of the resurrection and for us to meditate upon that mystery. It's very important that we give over our minds and our hearts to thinking about what it means that Christ rose from the dead and that his promise to us is that we too will rise. And of course we experience resurrection uh, as we go through salvation history, which is not uh, a repetition, it's not circular, and it's not uh, strictly linear uh, the way moderns might conceive time. But in the church, uh, time is a spiral. We're always repeating while moving forward. We're repeating while moving through time. And the prophets confess this. The prophets show us how uh, something is coming, something has happened, something will happen again. And we can see this in the prophet Micah. The prophet Micah is foretelling for us the mystery of the resurrection. He's talking to us about what it means uh, that uh, Christ will renew all things and that this promise will be fulfilled to Judah and Jerusalem and how it is uh, now being fulfilled, how it's going to be fulfilled, and then finally how it will be completed. We see this in the the life of Christ and what the church proclaims, that we have seen the Lord save Israel. We've seen him renew and restore Israel in the person of Jesus. We've seen him restore creation in the person of Jesus. We've seen him restore us as we participate in Christ's sacrifice through baptism, the way that he rises us up out of the waters of baptism and brings us to a new life in him. And then we see him continually restore the church and we're looking forward to a final resurrection, to a final restoration of all things at the second coming, when everything will be made new again. So we're seeing how the Lord has saved, how he is saving, how he will save us again and again. And we see this beautifully set by the prophet Micah. He talks about the mountain of the Lord and the house of the God of Jacob and the promise of Jerusalem. And all these are fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, The way that the promises to the nation are fulfilled, the way that it's uh, manifested in Jerusalem by Jesus and his uh, meal with the apostles and his sacrifice and his rising again. And we see that part of the promise of resurrection, part of the promise of this new life in God is that there will be no more fear. This is another way in which we see that the Lord casts out fear and yet we still see strife and scary things in the world. So he's continually renewing us and wiping away fear. A great example of this is in King David. King David as a young man faces the giant Goliath. And the marked thing about David is that he has no fear before this giant. While all the rest were trembling, it is uh, King David that's able to stand before him. And the promise that he gives is that everyone will be under his vine and his fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. So the Lord provides for us. He provides this refuge and strength which we experience now. Right, He feeds us with his body and blood. He provides for us out of his vine and this new wine. And he uh, casts out fear for us so that we can boldly proclaim his name and live his life. Uh, But we're going to see this completely perfected in the second coming. 
Jesus then walks into the upper room and he shows them uh, that they are still afraid. And he shows them that he's going to bring them again and again into a place of peace and refuge. You remember that they're terrified still in the upper room. This is on the day of resurrection. And Jesus appears, he manifests to them in the upper room. And when he does this, he's telling them something about his resurrected body, isn't he? He's showing them how he's recognizable. They can see him, they can touch him, they can feel feel him and yet he suddenly appears in this room he has no need for doors this body is uh, behaving in some ways like a kind of a ghost and so he dismisses this idea for them uh, that he's this ghostly resurrection by asking them for something to eat he shares a meal with them and he shows them that this is a real body uh, that is able to to eat that is able to have a meal And so he's both showing them what these resurrected bodies are like, how it is that they behave and act, and he's also again showing them how it is that we come into fellowship with God through the meal. We are going to have a meal this morning, the body and blood of Christ, and this is part of what makes us a family when we eat a meal together. Uh, A family eats together. That's what families do. Families get around a table and they share a meal. Anybody that says, uh, oh, uh, you know, I'm a member of your family, Uh, I'm going to celebrate your birthday, but I'm going to go off and do it someplace else, and I'm going to have my own meal, I'm not going to come to your house and your party and celebrate with you, you'd say, you're going to do what? Right? If we're going to celebrate somebody's birthday, we go to their house, we go to the place of the party, and we share a meal together. And so Jesus again shows them how it is that they're of one fellowship and he eats of this fish. And so he eats in front of them and then what he does is he sends them out. Remember that we are given this resurrection, we are given uh, the restoration of ourselves for the possibility of immortality, not to rest, not to sit back and relax and say, oh, it's all been completed. But he uh, shares this power with us so that we can go forth and we can do this work. And what is the, the substantive work of the gospel? He says to teach repentance and forgiveness. We're teaching repentance and forgiveness. And this can be um, dangerous and exhausting work. Because the world does not want to be told that they're living in sin. This is what people do not want to come face to face with. We don't want criticism. We don't want anybody to tell us we're not doing what we're supposed to do when we're supposed to be doing it. And they don't want to be invited into repentance. But this is what we have to offer. We have to offer repentance of sins and this practice of forgiveness. This is a, this is a foundational aspect of our life in the gospel. And of course we do it by uh, modeling repentance. We do it by constantly uh, repenting ourselves, constantly changing course as we discern the will of God and publicly proclaiming, I had been living my life one way, I'm changing and living it another way. And we're doing this over and over and over again in a daily practice of repentance and forgiveness where we're continuing to change the way that we live. And this is what St. John is telling us again in his letter. St. John is uh, naming and he is dismissing several key heresies here. One is uh, the idea that we don't need to repent anymore, but we'll get to that one in a minute. 
The first one is uh, that some people would say that uh, Jesus was not fully man, or they would say that he's not fully divine. He starts his letter by clearly stating for us, as he had in his gospel, and almost the same exact words, right, that Jesus is God. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and seen and touched, right? So he is mirroring those words of Genesis and of his own gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was God, right? He's saying in the beginning, this is the God of creation who appeared to us. And we were able to what? We were able to look upon him. We were able to touch him. So he's saying the God of creation came and we were able to touch him. We were able to see him. We experienced him. And he says, our, our joy will be made complete when you understand this, when you participate with us in this risen Lord. So our joy in the resurrection is never complete until other people are able to share it with us. Again, what's the fun of a birthday party if no one comes? Right? The joy is with people coming and participating with us. The joy of celebrating the Eucharist is that we're all here. Our joy is made more complete the more that we share this meal with others. And so he's speaking to the church. He's speaking to those that he calls his little children. So he's already dismissed two basic heresies that have been with us from the beginning. That either Jesus is not God or not man. He says he is fully God and fully man. And then he dismisses in quick order three basic heresies that have been with us since we can see the first century until now. Number one is that God doesn't really mind if we sin, right? This is what people teach all the time. God will overlook your sins. Uh, It's not a big deal. He's big enough, right? He's okay with you being a sinner. Don't worry about it. Uh, No, God is light, right? And he says either you're walking in the light or you're walking away from the light. But you cannot be in the light and continue to sin. He says that that is not possible, right? If we walk in the light, he is in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and we participate in the cleansing of sin. So that's the first thing, right? That God uh, cannot be with sin. Um, The second thing is that that, that somehow... um, I'm getting my numbers confused. The second one is that somehow we don't have to confess our sins or that we don't have to to continually repent of our sins. And this is very important that we don't think that uh, there is a time when we don't have to uh, repent of our sins, that somehow we're done and this process doesn't have to continue anymore. Right, that somehow we've 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 achieved this uh, level of of living in God, and we don't have to participate in that. And he says, if we say that we have no sin, we do what? We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. He's saying we continually have to repent of our sins, and we have to turn uh, back towards the Lord. And that if we do that, if we continue to confess our sins, we have an advocate with the Father. And so he's showing us how we have to continually come into this participation with God's holiness and with his life uh, in the Father. And that we are continually invited into that. It's not just one moment in time. It's not just one thing that we do, but it's a life of continually coming into the Lord. We had a visit this last week from a dear friend of ours, Jan Epps. Uh, She came to church last week and uh, she sat with us in our living room and uh, shared a meal with us. 
and told us about some of the travels that she's having. Uh, She was in the Central Valley of California and went to uh, Southern California and then was going on from here to Elko in uh, Northern Nevada, uh, which is where she grew up in the 1950s. And I knew that Jan uh, wasn't able to drive because her eyesight was so bad. And so I asked, "How, how are you getting to all these places? How are you able to do all this traveling because you can't see? And she said that she had made friends with this young woman in her 20s that had been volunteering to do all this driving. I said, that's pretty incredible that she's willing to to drive you all these places. And she said, well, I took her into my home when she was kicked out of somebody's house. She was basically homeless, living in her car. And I took her into my home and we became really close friends. And uh, she is uh, seemingly very glad to be able to, to take me all these places. And she says, it's good for her and it's been wonderful for me because I'm able uh, to travel, and she talked about how much she uh, loved going back to Elko, even though that was a really hard place for her to live. Uh, in the 50s, Jan was a teenager, a young teenager, about 13, and her dad had left the home, and her mom had married again, and she married an alcoholic. And her mom was an alcoholic, and they were both gone for days at a time, or just drunk and unable to cook or clean or care for the home and the children. And Jan, as a 13-year-old, was going to middle school, and she was having to cook and clean and care for the home and do all of her own uh, work and go to school. And she said, I came to the end of myself. I realized I was going to have a breakdown. It was too much for me to care for. So she went to her doctor. She went to her pediatrician. And the doctor took her and uh, took her immediately from his office and took her to a family and went into the study of the family and the family said, uh, come and stay with us. And she ended up from that day until she graduated from high school living with this family. And I asked her what it was like living with them. And she said it was so wonderful because they had this regular life. They had this uh, day in, day out practice of living with God and this practicing of repentance and this practicing of uh, forgiveness with one another. They would forgive each other and they would forgive me. They held a standard for the way I was supposed to live, but they would repent with me and, and, and accept my forgiveness and they would show me how to live. And she said they took me to evening prayer and it was at evening prayer she said that I met the Lord and I felt the Holy Spirit come into my heart and she said it was that one night as a teenager in evening prayer that I knew that God loved me and that he wanted a good life for me and that he was going to provide and show me how to live that good life and then she said when this woman came to my home living alone out in the country and she didn't have a place to live she said I knew what I was supposed to do because it had been done for me I was able to invite her into my home and I was able to give what had been given to me this practice of of living in the family of God of inviting one another in to care for one another and practicing this life of repentance and forgiveness over and over and over again she said that young woman told her that she had saved her life and I wonder who saved whose life God has saved us all and taught us how to participate in his salvation this day and forevermore.